This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I prefer the late coming Mariners. I, I prefer the late arrivals. They, they got started too early last night, Paul. That was the problem. Well, they started off, and it looked like it was going to be drama-free. We're cruising. Jake Fraley's hitting home runs. Kyle Seeger's hitting his 30th home run. It was so much fun. There were bad signs, though, early. Yes. The when first you leave inning. The bases, uh, yep. You leave the bases loaded twice in the first four innings. That's going to bite you. You make the second out at home for I, the second time this month. It's it's happened too often this year. That that's brutal to me. I, and that that was how it started. Mitch Haniger getting thrown out at home. It took a really good relay. It is Danny Galan. It's Friday, and the Mariners looked good for half of Thursday's game against the Royals. Half. The problem was it wasn't the most meaningful half because they ended up giving up their four run lead, and that after an incredible five innings by Yusei Kikuchi, the wheels came off in the sixth. Can you win the game in the first inning? No. Can you win the game in the second inning? No. Can you win the game in the third inning? No. You we- can't leave the bases loaded twice in the first four innings and stub your toe pretty badly, though. Or leave two runners on first and third with no outs and leave the inning with zero runs. They had yeah. plenty of opportunities last night, Danny. It was on the table. And also, Oakland lost, so they could have tied things up with the A's in the American League West. That's the most frustrating part about this morning. And there's been a bunch of these this season, and of course every single baseball team experiences the games that they should have won against teams that they are better than, and they'll probably look back at them at the end of the year and wonder if that was the difference between being a division winner and a wildcard team or out of the playoffs and a wildcard team. This is one of those ones that I hope that we're not going to be talking about a couple of weeks from now as one of the games that kept the Mariners out of the playoffs. I hope so too, and and I and I don't think it will. For the for the long term, the biggest concern last night is what happened with Yusei Kikuchi, yeah, right? Yeah, because he cruises through five. He looks really good through five. What he thrown sixty two pitches. He looks really good, and then it was just it's like he ran out of gas in that sixth inning. Did he run out of gas maybe a couple of weeks ago? Because this is a since July seventh problem. This is a two month stretch where his ERA has jumped from three point one eight to I think 4.34 now, and with seven run performances against L.A. early, Houston recently. Yeah, I think that's fair to ask. I think it's fair to ask if something has happened to him because I, I, I can't pinpoint it. it. It might be a little velocity, but it doesn't look like he's certainly getting hit harder. And, and I, I think what was striking to me last night was how suddenly it changed. Because he could not have looked better through those five, those those first five innings, and then in the sixth inning it started wobbling and it, and it went really quick, and he ended up getting removed in in that inning, and and he does so. I mean, look, he leaves a tough spot where you've got the bases loaded, and Joe Smith comes into the game. He, let's this was this was the big blow in the game. This was the one that the Mariners never really came back from. Salvador Perez coming to the plate there in the sixth inning against Joe Smith. Smith comes out of the chest. He deals. Swing, and it's hammered, and the Royals are taking the lead. Salvador Perez mashes a grand slam that hits off the electronic out-of-town scoreboard in left field. 
A mammoth grand slam by Salvador Perez, who's trotting around the base paths with one swing. He has put Kansas City in front five to four in the top of the sixth. There are two things here. There's what happened in the game, and then there's what it means for the longer term future. Let's let's take the first one. Let's let's tackle what happened in the game. And afterward, there was a question because Scott did have the bullpen up. He did have the bullpen up, and Kikuchi had thrown only sixty two pitch, and I was like, uh, but I, I I think that that question of something having changed with Yusei over the over the past month. And maybe even month and a half, he he was he was more prepared for that. Like he he wanted to have he wanted to have an option if Kikuchi got in trouble. That is what happened. And and afterward, uh, one of the Japanese reporters, who Kikuchi is is one of the players that is followed really really closely back in Japan. One of the Japanese press court that that follows the team was was asking service, and basically they asked in a fairly blunt fashion, "Have you lost some of the trust in Kikuchi?" And and Scott was. Very, very quick to spell out that that's not exactly what's going on. Here's his answer. Time out, time out, time out. No, okay. that's not the case at all. Okay, so don't don't try to put those words in my mouth. You say has been really good for us, very consistent. Their best hitter is coming to the plate with the bases loaded, okay, in the sixth inning of the ball game. So we put what I thought was our best matchup and our best pitcher into the game at that point, okay? You say did a nice job to get us to that point. It was not a matchup that, you know, I thought was very favorable for us at the time with Yusei back out there with Salvador Perez, who, who does have 34 horns, brought Joe Smith in, he made a mistake, and he hit a home run. That happens. Okay, but don't put words in my mouth. That's not fair. That's why I'm more certain about a Scott service extension than I ever have been. That is a great way to stand up for your players. But the question had a point. If Yusei Kikuchi is one of your best pitchers and he's only thrown 62 pitches and the bases are loaded, yeah, Salvador Perez might be up. But who would you rather, honestly, uh, Danny, have facing Salvador Perez? Yusei Kikuchi or Joe Smith, who has been pitching longer than just about anyone in baseball? I think he has actually more appearances than anybody active in baseball. The guy has been out there a lot, and he's not the same guy that he might have been a couple of years ago. To me, if I'm looking at this objectively and not thinking about what Kikuchi's been pitching like over the last two months, I want Kikuchi to stay out there because I feel like I should have the confidence that my number two, number three, best-case scenario pitcher is going to be able to get that guy out. And that's been the problem. Whether it's against New York, where he hasn't looked confident, or Mm -hmm. against Houston, something's missing, and it does have me a little bit concerned, big picture about Kikuchi. Here's why Scott made the decision he did, and I think it was absolutely the right decision to pull Kikuchi. It's 1-0 count, Ryan O'Hearn singles. First pitch to Emmanuel Rivera, he hits the hits a sharp single. Next at bat, 1-0 count. Whit Merrifield doubles, scores a run. And then he walks Nicky Lopez on four pitches. Only one of those four hitters did he start with a strike. Yeah. Only one of those four hitters did he start with a strike. And now you've got Salvador Perez coming with no room to put him. He, he, he did not have... Every time they swing, they made contact. There was no swing and a miss in the first four hitters that he faced that inning. If if you're Scott Service and you look at that, you're like, hey, I'm managing this game right now. And you're right to look at the, the recent the, the recent track record, the past month of, of how you say is pitched. It was absolutely the right decision to remove him. And I think it shows that Scott has a good feel for, for his pitcher, the fact that he, he kind of knew because when there was a guy up in the in, in the bullpen, I was like, what? 
Really? He's only thrown 62. You might be able to yeah. get through seven with him the way he's going. No, Scott, Scott, Scott knew, Scott knew what could happen. It's what did. He tried to stop it. It didn't work. The second part of this is, does it change how you see you say going forward? Does it change how you see you say going forward? One start shouldn't. <laughs> You're chuckling to yourself. You pun artist. I pulled that dude. off, man. Like that, that, that is not, I pulled clap. that off. <laughs> Congratulations. You Does got it, it change out. how you see you say, Paul? The last two months have. The last two months have to have, right? And, and I know we, we are, I would say I am. You're, you're more on top of this than me. I, I know I'm extremely overreactionary to the point of sometimes being flip-flop with this team. But I know that what we've seen over the last two months has been a guy that is a lot more close to a Justice Sheffield or a Justin Dunn than somebody that you're looking at and saying, yeah, I'm willing to pick up a four-year, $66 million option and have this guy pitching into his late 30s because that's what it would be. I mean, his contract would expire. I think he would be turning 35 that year. So this is this is definitely something that's going to make Jerry DePoto's decision-making or whoever makes the next decision, though it does sound like Jerry DePoto might be the one making that decision based off of what he was telling us yesterday. I would be very hesitant at this point in time. And, you know, I don't know what it is, Danny. It doesn't change me. It doesn't change for me because I get what you're saying. It, you have to see it in the context of, the, of the, the short season last year and the fact that he's still fairly new to Major League Baseball and that if he has faded and if it is the, the length of the season or something like that, that that has affected him, he's got the ability to, to continue to get stronger and he'll be better with that going forward. At least that's what I think. And the other thing is you're not going to get somebody better than him. Right, that yeah, fifteen million dollars is that fifteen million dollars. You need you say and then some. Like you're you're going to need to to add a starter that's better than you say. Not add a starter and replace you say. I mean that's going to be. I don't think you're going to get a better pitcher than you say Kikuchi for fifteen million dollars. Well, well haven't haven't we had this same conversation before and talked to ourselves and asked the very question of, hey, if you're a good baseball team, would you extend someone? like you say Kikuchi, where you say you're probably not going to find a better alternative, but is that a reason to keep somebody in baseball? I, I, yes. I, okay. It, it is, and specifically for this reason. You need more starting pitching depth beyond him. And if he's going to go for more than $15 million a year on the open market, and I honestly think he would, you absolutely have to you have to extend him. It is Danny and Gallant. We'll have more to get to. A disappointing Mariners loss 6-4 to four last night. They got their runs early, couldn't manage any late. Let's get to front page news. This, this is the front page. Brought to you by Dubin Law Group. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day. Right now. Happy Blue Friday. Seahawks starters are expected to get some playing time tomorrow night, Danny. Yeah, let's go. Huzzah! Yeah, for nine plays, Russ. It's something See else. See what you got. Show me some tempo. Yeah, but don't get hurt. Please do not get hurt. According to The Athletic, nearly half of the league's starting quarterbacks have not played in a preseason game yet. Justin Herbert of the Chargers, which is surprising. Matthew Stafford of the Rams aren't going to play at all in the preseason. Aaron Rodgers has played in just one preseason game since 2018. And also, if you take a look at the Kansas City Chiefs, who have had Patrick Mahomes out there for whatever reason, maybe to play in front or, excuse me, behind that offensive line, get used to it. But Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey haven't been playing. 
And Mahomes no, had those an are offense. the only two guys of the top ten in receiving yards last year. Oh, those are the only the two? top ten. Those are the only two guys that that have played in oh, this boy. preseason. The other eight guys in the league, nobody plays anymore, and it happens suddenly. It's very strange to me. I, I is it? It has to just be fear of injury. Like it, this happened suddenly. It didn't used to be this way. When you see John Ursua and Ben Burkhurvin suffer the injuries that they did this past Saturday night, though, I, I can see why guys would get terrified. And we have seen other players who are, no offense to those two, more important, suffer the same kind of injuries in these games. You can't play meaningless football games. You just can't. It's too violent a sport. And I understand how much of a benefit it is to some of those young players who are trying to crack out a roster spot. But when the other guys are in there and they know that this is just a waste of their time, essentially, which it is, this is not something that's necessarily good. And if you're playing less than 100%, I I think you leave yourself open for injury. The Front Page. Mariners did make an addition. They did a little by adding Sean Doolittle. He's a reliever that is claimed on waivers. Seattle bolstering its bullpen. We also saw the new guy that they that they brought in last night. So getting getting some fresh arms out there. Here's Scott Service about uh, the addition of Sean Doolittle. I think it's a great addition. Got a ton of experience left-handed. Uh, not exactly sure when he's going to be in Seattle. I don't got all the details yet. Excited to have him on board. Um, certainly you need all the, the arms you can get coming out of a bullpen and, and guys that have done it before uh, bring tremendous value. So um, he's been in pennant races and World Series and all kinds of stuff. A really interesting guy and like I said, a welcome addition to our bullpen. You say, you see, <laughs> did a little, do little. You're on a roll this morning. They need to have as much depth as possible in that spot, especially now with Diego Castillo. Who knows how long he'll be out with that shoulder injury that put him on the injured list. Yeah. It's good to have options in the bullpen. I like how they're being active. Who was the guy that they brought in last night? Andresi? Yeah. Who's also new to the, new the, the bullpen. You're going to need some options this time of year. You need to get some depth. And certainly Jerry DePoto sparing no, uh, no, no ounce of effort as they try to make sure that they have some fresh arms. And the bullpen has been taxed. It There's certainly no has. doubt about that. The bullpen has been taxed. And you have to figure out ways that you can learn who to, learn who to trust. I mean, can you trust Sean Doolittle? Can you trust these new guys that you are putting in there? A series against the Royals, even if the first one did end in a loss, is, I think, a pretty good spot to start with some of these guys. That is front page news. Let's get to the professor, John Clayton. Wrap up the week with him with our morning drive. John Clayton's morning drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything Everything NFL NFL. from the professor, John Clayton. Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's morning drive with Danny and Gallant. Professor, do you think that we'll see the Seahawks starters in for a long time tomorrow night in another preseason game? I, I would hope not because, again, it's like I think you don't want to risk injury. I mean, you already saw two injuries, even though they weren't starters to guys last week. Three injuries total, I guess you can say, because they got an oblique injury. Uh, but overall, I think that uh, you know they'll be out there for, I don't know if it's going to be a quarter or whatever it's going to be, but I don't think they need to be out there that long. That's the way this preseason has gone. I mean, week one, 522 players did not play last week. It was 565. It'll be much less this week, but I don't know how much less. And I think, uh, you know, it's like a quarter, fine, no more than that. 
Professor, we've got a starter in New Orleans. Yeah. To the surprise of no one except Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston is going to be the starter down there. Yeah, I mean, uh, how, how, how can that not be? I, mean, I don't even know if Taysom Hill is a quarterback. He's a good football player. He does some different things. They made a stupid mistake by paying him over $10 million a year guaranteed on a two-year deal. Uh, that was just dumb. I mean, particularly for a team that has all kind of cap problems. But, I mean, you know, Jameis Winston's a quarterback who has the ability to throw for 5,000 yards. He also has the ability to, to be an ESPN entity with a 30-30 type of uh, show, you know, 30 picks and 30 uh, touchdown passes. But now I think uh, that it, it was one that I think was expected, certainly with what he did last week in week two of the preseason. He wrapped things up, and so now he's there. You know, it's, it's funny because I was looking at this, and we'll see what happens happens in San Francisco, but there could be as many as 14 quarterback changes this year. 14. Oof. Well, that certainly is a lot, and the good thing is for the Seahawks, that's not going to be the case. No. And of course, for the Packers, that's not going to be the case. And Aaron Rodgers, he had this to say yesterday, that when you're taking a look at this season, he's saying what I would think a lot of quarterbacks of teams that have had bye weeks recently would say it's championship or bust. How many other teams do you think are in that same kind of mindset that they have to get to the Super Bowl, otherwise the season's a failure? Well, I mean, yeah, it's like it, it's overdone because, again, it's, it's so hard to get to the Super Bowl because, I mean, first you have to stay healthy. Second, you have to have the right type of quarterback. You have to have, have the right type of roster. And, you know, particularly uh, you look at it, and I look at it, but uh, there's about 11 teams in the uh, AFC that have a chance to make the playoffs. And many of them have a chance to maybe go to the Super Bowl in the NFC. It's going to be a, a lot less because you got you know quarterback situations that have changed so much over the past year. But uh, you know, I, I think in the end, you know, you know, four teams in this division have a chance to make the playoffs. We'll see how it goes. But again, Super Bowl contenders—that's tough. With Tampa Bay, they were so healthy last year, mm-hmm. and they've kept they've kept their they they've they've kept their their players largely. It's, Tom Brady's played some, but he's been limited. I wonder with the age on their roster if they're going to be able to stay as healthy this year. I I, I wonder the same thing, too, because I know when I did a Washington Post story and talked to Jason Light, the general manager, I said the same thing because the good news is they bring back all their Super Bowl starters. The bad news is they're now a whole year older and they haven't added much to the roster and they're the oldest team in football. And an oldest team in football after a year, where they were in the top five for least number of uh, missed starts because of injuries, will they stay healthy? And I think that's going to be a big question because I mean you still look at that team and you see some age. I mean you see you know and uh, you know and Dominican Sue and you see Jason Pierre Paul. I mean those guys are a little bit older. I mean so you kind of wonder about that. I mean Tom Brady obviously is going to be fine. And one of the things that uh, I know that uh, Jason Light told me is that hey. This team stays in great shape because of Tom Brady, because Tom Brady keeps himself in such great shape, and so many of the players follow what he does. But is that going to carry over? And I think that's going to be a concern. That's why you know, you, you bring up the Super Bowl question and all that stuff. It's hard, you know, because what is it in the two decades uh, since you know even Bill Belichick went down as the New England Patriots coach? He's like he's the only one that's been able to win back-to-back Super Bowls. And to go back to a Super Bowl, I know the Kansas City did it last year, but he didn't win. It's just hard. And injuries can play a big factor in that. 
Certainly hard. I think that what they have done has definitely changed expectations, at least on those uh, for those who are on the outside looking in, specifically fans, I would say. Uh, we saw a report yesterday, John, from Mike Garofalo, and it had to do with Dwayne Brown. I guess there has been some conversation between the Seahawks and Brown, and while the Seahawks might not give Brown an extension beyond this coming season, there is talk that they might sweeten the deal with some kind of incentives. How would that work? Well, it's we watched it happen with Xavier Howard, and what they did with Xavier Howard, it didn't increase his salary for this year. They didn't do anything. They just gave him a guarantee into next year. So something similar to that. And again, you know, what you wonder about what Dwayne wants. Does he want some assurance that he's going to be back here next year? Does he want this? Does he want that? We just don't know. These negotiations are all private. But uh, you know, when 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 you get to this point where it's like, okay. It's a sweetening type of deal. Then you figure something gets done. Now, it's going to be tougher for uh, Quandre Diggs because he's made $6.2 million. And uh, how much more can he get because he's a free agent next year? That's going to be more difficult because, again, can you keep two safeties making more than $10 million a year? But I, I still think with Dwayne, something gets done. John, there's a report about the NFL uh, proposing increased COVID-19 testing. Nobody wants to hear this. But one of the realities is with the Delta variant, it is possible and more likely it appears that people who have been vaccinated can transmit the virus in closed team environments like you have. We're going to see teams who have increases in positive test rates, testing positive for COVID-19, even though they've been vaccinated. It happened in baseball with the Yankees a, a couple of times. I don't know if everybody's prepared for for what that is going to be like, because if they increase testing, they are going to end up getting more positives and you're going to have more guys that are sitting out, even though they've been vaccinated. Yeah, but also it's like, uh, I don't know if they're going to go for that or not. They may, they may, they may not. But I think the big thing is just get vaccinated. Simple as that. Yeah. I mean, because uh, Lee came out yesterday that said there was a 7% chance that you're going to get you know, the COVID-19 on a positive test more if you don't get vaccinated. And look what's going on with Tennessee. I mean, in the last two days, they had to put nine players and they have a whole bunch of coaches that are down because of positive tests or contact tests or whatever you want to call it. They've down nine. Arizona is just loaded. Dallas this week, they've had to put five or six, probably seven players on that. I mean, I counted up, there was like a hundred and... Oh, 160 players right now that have had uh, on the on the COVID's list, and it's just it's just too much. I mean, you know, it's like you're going to wipe this thing out if you don't get the vaccination. Just get the vaccination. Simple as that. He is the professor, John. You can be taking phone calls tomorrow morning. Yeah, from uh, eight to eleven on seven ten ESPN Seattle. JB and Renton's probably going to be batting leadoff. Does he he'll, still he'll get in there off. first? Yeah, then you know, then we'll have uh, you know some time in the first hour. We'll probably have a, a lot of of our regulars calling in. But yeah, eight to eleven tomorrow, taking your phone calls. Sounds good, John. Thank you. Thanks. You can also hear the professor this afternoon with Wyman and Bob. Coming up next, there's no I in team. There is an I in win, though. We'll explain why that applies to Russell Wilson next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I've got a question. As we get further and further into the 21st century, Danny, 
I do think that we're going to see more and more athletes that are about themselves mm-hmm. than necessarily the team. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think actually that's more a reflection of just the way that our culture is changing and that we are more, I think, individually oriented these days. Dude, the money's bigger too, right? True. Like there's there's a, a the reason for self interest can be can 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 be quantified in that. And I, I don't I don't believe that money is the only thing that athletes play play for, but it is one of the things. It's a job. And we've also specifically talked about on this very show how quarterbacks are essentially middle management right. in an organization. Same rules don't apply to them. Right. And when the same rules don't apply to you, much like you might be friendly with your boss, but there's still always going to be that dynamic that you have. I would imagine that for a lot of players across the league, especially with the best quarterbacks out there, that that is something that creates a bit of a divide between them and the rest of the locker room. So I, I bring all that up as a way to preface an interview that Russell Wilson did with Jake and Stacy. On Wednesday. You're trying to soft sell things. You think Russ said me, myself, and I too much during his interview. You're trying. You're trying to. You're trying to put it in like, hey, here's the bigger context. You think Russ referred to himself too much in this interview? I think he said the word I a lot. I also think he said the word me a lot. There's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But when you're looking at a guy that you're hoping is going to take this team, this specific team that mm-hmm. plays in this specific location further than it's gone over the last couple of years, it is striking because there's also been some questions about whether or not he's going to stick around past this year. And one of the quotes that really jumped out to me had to do with a question that Stacy asked about some of the criticism that he has gotten and also just some of the struggles that he had more specifically at the end of last year. How do you process it? Does it lead to you looking at the tape, finding different ways to, I guess, advance your game? And this was his answer. I, I just go to the truth. You know, I know, I know who I am. <laughs> it's, not that, it's not that complicated. You know, I, I don't get persuaded. You know, I don't get persuaded in the midst of a game. I don't get persuaded outside the game. I don't get persuaded by that, uh, you know, by negativity. You know, uh, um, I think that more than anything else, you know, I think about what I, what I've been able to do throughout my whole career. Um, you know, and even even the first half, you know, of the season. You know, it's like, you know, for me, that's who I am. You know, the numbers show. You know, that's just reality. That's just the truth. The confidence certainly there, but is he the quarterback for the entirety of a sixteen to seventeen game season that mm-hmm. he was over the first eight games of the year? Well, he hasn't had a whole year like that, right? Yeah, he hasn't had a full, complete year like that. But I, I, I like, I like him thinking that way. The, the, the first thing it, it makes me wonder is, does it matter how he wins? Because it, it might start to a little bit. Like he, he might, he might feel that, like you know what, winning's the most important thing f- f- to me. And through ten years, what I've found is that when I have the most control. And I have the most decision-making power, and my arm is trying. That's when we win most, and that's what I want to do. the The part about him being pretty focused, self-focused, because I I don't really want to say self-centered. I think there's always been a, a bit of that, but I think that's true in all great athletes. I I think Michael Jordan was that way. I I I think Kobe Bryant was definitely that way, and. I think it's a fair discussion to have or to, to ask, Is that does that get the most out of the team? 
because maybe maybe it does allow an individual to excel but doesn't maximize those things. But I really think that that part of Russell, that's been part of Russell for a long, long time. I, I, don't, I don't think that's new. I don't think that's come up. I think that was true from the day he walked in the door and he was focused on what he had to do to win the job to be the starting quarterback. And that's the reason he became the starter so quick. In that very interview, the two names that you just mentioned, too, he brought them up. He said that he was watching some of them, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. So if you're modeling yourself after those two guys, it makes sense if this is the way that you're going to go about things. But I do think that there is an element in football more than in any other sport where you, as the quarterback in particular, have a responsibility to bring the most out of the rest of the entire roster. And look, it's not like he doesn't try to do that. He obviously has his offseason workouts with all these guys, but... There's, there's sometimes you, you hear a bit of a disconnect and you, you could sort of see why some of those players that were his teammates maybe early on may have felt a certain way about him, even if he was putting in all of the work necessary to be the great quarterback that he's been for the majority of his career. The counterpoint we have is Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady's been considered for all of the superstar quarterbacks sort of the most team-oriented right? Somebody who who speaks in we, he has his most famous commercial. He's not even the center of it, right? It's the five layers of protection when he has his five offensive linemen that are around him. I always saw that as kind of a false modesty and that maybe the guys around him, that that really helped, helped him sort of blend in as much as you could. But when I heard him say that, I just assumed it was he was reading from a script where I, I think I think Russ's interviews are boring, but I think he tells you, I, I think he does tell you how he focuses on himself and how he brings the most, that that's, I think he's honest about his process in a way that Brady never was. Yeah, I honestly, I think he's more open than a lot of quarterbacks too, talking about, I haven't gotten MVP votes, what the heck, like he did going into last year, or going forward saying like, look at what I do when I extend See, plays. See, that's so interesting to me because when I think about it, like what I is him talking about bringing to in Tim Grover and thinking about being great and all of these that he he's really willing to engage and sort to talk about his mental strength coach, Trevor Moad, the, the ways that I feel that he is more transparent about the things he does to maximize his performance. And it's interesting that what sticks out to you is sort of the the way he verbalizes sort of achievements or plays in a way that guys don't often do right and he mentioned this in the interview language is so important but this is this is how he describes himself on a regular basis language is important but it's the messaging that you give to yourself right and and i think what russ has learned is the thing that he can control most is is his own performance and the way that he maximizes his performance that's true is not to he does not have a chip on his shoulder in the sense that he tries to think that everybody's doubting you. Like he thinks to himself, I, I know I have the capability of being great. And that's, that's, the, that's the thought that I'm going to keep next to me. And I'm going to go back to trying to be great this next play every single time rather than thinking like, man, it's a chance. Sherm wasn't like that. Sherm wanted and needed to prove people wrong. Russ's, Russ's psychological sort of approach is different. It is self-centered. Like It, it is about him. I think it's interesting. People thought Michael Jordan might not be the best leader. And right? The last dance, a lot of people looked at that and they're like, he's kind of – but – there's a lot of different ways to to win. Yeah, there's not and just and one. I think most of it is just being true to your own personality. I it doesn't it does I recognize that him 
Russell's focused on himself might turn some people off and maybe even teammates. I just think what he gets out of that so exceeds any any trade-off that I'm glad he is the way he is and wouldn't need him to to say we more. I'm glad he is the way that he is too because he needs to maintain this level of play, I think, to continue to have people going behind him and fighting behind him when he's talking about my legacy, my Super Bowls, my records, my victories. Because the way that he talks about Super Bowls, he, he does talk about them as if they are quarterback only, and that's supposed to be just for speak for your pizza. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Paul Gallant. It's Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Our training camp coverage is presented by Precore Home Fitness as we turn the, turn the page to the last preseason game of the season for the Seahawks tomorrow night. There were some missed opportunities last night for the Seattle Mariners. How do they bounce back and make sure that they take advantage of them next time around? We'll talk about that. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I have a bit of a decision to make this weekend. Am I going to pay money to watch Tyron Woodley and Jake You know Paul the fight? answer to that. You I, I know do. the answer. Come on. I, I do know. It's going to happen. You're an I'd addict. Stay, I'd stayed clear of it up until yesterday. Tyron Woodley got mad because one of Jake Paul's team members, part of Team Paul, at the weigh-in, they're wearing these bright orange like mesh trucker caps, started speaking to his mother. And then okay. everybody was like, hey, man, he didn't, he didn't disrespect your mom. And Tyron Woodley's response was, it doesn't matter. He shouldn't be talking to my mom. He shouldn't ask her what two plus two is. I wish he had taken her hat like the oh, other yeah. Paul brother did to Floyd Mayweather. No, no. This oh, is, that was this Jake. Is the, this is the hat snatcher. It was a member of Hat Snatcher's team, though. <laughs> hat Snatcher Incorporated. Man, yeah, it was a man. I think his name was D-Cut was the guy that, that was talking to Tyron Woodley's mom. You have become, Danny, the... Listeners who listen to our show every single day entirely because they hate us, <laughs> or that, and that happens that's in, in a lot of sports talk radio or in talk radio in general, where some people listen because they don't like the person. You're watching these fights because you don't like Jake Paul. I want to see him get absolutely starched. I want to see him get destroyed. And Tyron Woodley can at least hit hard enough to do that. I don't know if Tyron Woodley can box. the the last The last guy. That, that Jake Paul fought, and I'll give him, this is a step up in class. The last guy he fought, his primary attribute in a boxing match was that you knew he was tough. He was a wrestler who didn't get knocked out and had a long career. Tyron Woodley is similarly a really accomplished wrestler, and he's been a multiple-time UFC champion. Better MMA career than Ben Askren. He can also punch. Askren could not punch. I don't know if he can box. But at least it is a step up. And yeah, the answer, who am I asking? I probably, <laughs> Listen to me, I'm already going to, uh, already ended up, I'm going to buy I think it. you wanted me to talk you out of it. No, there's not really any of it. Because I am, I'm legitimately interested. It's kind of the fundamentals of what a fight is, right? Like, right. can this guy beat that guy? And this is a, can, can this YouTube guy who is pretty tough, who does train very seriously in boxing, how good of a fighter can he defeat? He, he beat a pro athlete who was not a fighter in Nate Robinson. He beat an MMA fighter who was not a puncher and not a boxer in any sense of the word in Ben Askren. And now we're going to see if he can beat an MMA fighter who, maybe not a boxer, but can certainly punch. He can cer- he's got an overhand right that he'll throw a couple times every round. And if he, if he hits Paul with it, I, I, I do think it's over. He seems like an absolute weasel, but at the same time, I do respect that he has taken this seriously. 
And he trains. He yeah, like I think he is a garbage human, and I don't even care how much of it's an act. But he trains, man. Like there's no doubt about that. He he trains and can punch. The Mariners last night Couldn't are going to look back at that game as missed opportunities, right? Yeah. Like I, I want to give credit where it's due. Where the Royals, the Royals had some excellent out outfield defense, highlighted by by uh, Andrew Benatendi's robbing of Jared Kelnick's home run in the eighth inning. Like a huge. That 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 was one of three that I would consider excellent catches in the outfield by 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 the Royals. They had great defense, but this was this was missed opportunities, right? This was Mitch Haniger getting thrown out at the plate in the first inning with one out. This is the bases being left loaded in the first and then the fourth. Let's let's pause for a second on that first one. So what's going on here where they're sending Mitch? Because Mitch clearly isn't that fast. I I don't think he's slow. I think he's got average speed. Uh, our baseball consigliere, Luke Arkins, actually, because I tweeted this out. I was like, is Mitch Haniger just not as fast as we think he is? And he was like, yeah, he's, he's slightly below average in terms of the, the, his ability to run around the base paths. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds about right. I mean, the thought process there is be aggressive. You're, you're a Mariners team that's, that's young and part of, part of their identity is, is, is being aggressive on the base paths. It, take, it, took, a great, it took two great throws to get him. It like, did. Both they were great those, throws and a great tag, too. And specifically, specifically that throw from second base or from the shortstop from Nicky Lopez was in, couldn't have been better. And you've got a, a potential Hall of Fame catcher, one of the best defensive catchers that we've seen along with Molina, making a great the way he positioned himself, and then the tag was excellent. It, it, it was right. they executed it. That said, man, I feel like they've made the second out at home way too often. I agree. I I, I don't know what the numbers are. But it's especially recently, I feel like I've seen it a whole lot. Or just the second out somewhere on the base paths going for extra via a tag. And for a team that does not get many opportunities to put runners on the bases, I understand being aggressive maybe because of that. But maybe at the same time, maybe you should be a little more cautious, especially when, for whatever reason, you randomly are good with runners in scoring position. Yeah, the, the, the rule that everybody knows is you don't make the first or the third out of the inning at third base. The... Making the second out at home is should be just as cardinal rule. The the idea at third base is that hey, the difference between being on second and on third with two outs is not that significant. But with one out, sacrifice fly gets you in. Exactly. And with one out, if you have runners at second and third, in that specific instance, you went from you would have had runners on second and third with one out to okay, now you've got a runner on second with two outs. Like, significantly change. Like, you're much better off having... And the upside that you get from plating that run usually doesn't offset the, 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 the risk of, of losing that runner when you still would have another two turns at the plate with the ability for the sack fly to, to score that run. It's at least the second time it's happened this month. Yeah, I generally like teams that are more aggressive in that situation. Like, go for it. Like, I, I do like having it. So I feel a little bit like I'm just complaining about the result in this case. But they do. I, I think I think Manny Acta needs to dial back the risk meter a little bit. You, ca- you can't be making the second out at home. No, you can't. And I hope, too, that with base runners for the Mariners going forward, that they are smart themselves and know their own limitations, though. If someone is sending you around, you are supposed to follow the orders. Of that guy, but yeah, man, you had a bases loaded opportunity twice, and then you had runners on first and third with no outs, and 
you need every single run you can get. And against a team like Kansas City, it should not be that hard to to follow through on that. I mean, shoot, the dude who was pitching had 38 pitches or something in the first inning. When that happens, you got to, at the very least, the next inning continue to make him work for it. But they were 1-2-3 for the next couple of innings afterwards until the fourth inning when they had that next opportunity. And that also, I feel like, is a missed opportunity. When you got a guy on the ropes, you can get to the bullpen early. you got a four-game series against this team. You want to make that, that bullpen gassed for the entirety of it. And instead, you, you, you made it so that they could actually get to their bullpen and, and hold things down. By the way, the Royals played great defense. I mean, Kelnick had a home ben, run robbed. Ben Intendi's like that. That was a hell of a play. I mean, it, Kelnick even took his cap. That was, a, that was a hell of a catch. It was a I didn't great think he got catch. It. I didn't either, and he kind of he played it off. He well. did. He like, really it, did. You could you could tell it, and I was I was actually mad at him because I was like, "Oh, you jerk, you jerk!" Like you knew you had it, and you didn't let because you wanted everybody to go nuts, and then it was going to be like, "Aha, got your home run right here!" Yeah, it was it was a really it felt like they were going to do it again. Like that's when 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 Kelnick hit that, I was like, "They are going to do this again." They're gonna they're gonna cut the deficit to one run, and then they're gonna be in the very position at the very least. All it'll take is a home run in the ninth for them to extend this, and they they didn't end up doing that. And ultimately, it is the missed opportunities and having first and third and no outs and not getting not getting the runner home, leaving the bases loaded twice. That was the story of that game. It is Danny and Gallant. We're going to bring in Michael Bumpus. He's going to join us next for Blue 42 as the Seahawks uh, get set for their final preseason game. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness.